If you think about all the tasks that you do in the home, each one of them is pretty small. If you had a robot that could do all of them, like Rosie from the Jetsons, that would be incredibly useful and I think we would all want that. But to build a robot that can do all of those things right now is really, really hard. It's also expensive. This episode, we meet Dave Ferguson. He's the co-founder of Neuro. It's a self-driving vehicle company trying to shuttle goods instead of people. Neuro is positioning its golf cart-sized vehicle as a first step towards the robotic butlers that have so far only existed in science fiction. Our mission is to accelerate the benefits of robotics for everyday life. Backed by a near $1 billion investment by Japanese tech conglomerate SoftBank, Neuro has partnered with supermarket giant Kroger to begin testing a driverless grocery delivery service in Texas and Arizona. It's one of several companies, including Amazon, that wants to take humans out of home delivery. From the Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Anthony Green. What brought you into this field? What stoked your interest? Yeah, so I've been working in autonomy for about 20 years. And it started in my undergrad, in, which I did in New Zealand. And, and in New Zealand, you, you tend to specialize early. You can basically major in whatever you want from your first year. I thought I was going to be a lawyer, actually. So first year I took law, I took physics, I took maths, and I took computer science. And there was a little red trash can style robot that the department had just gotten. And I basically fell in love with it. I wasn't expecting to, but the process of being able to give a machine intelligence to do things on its own, and it was not very intelligent, but nonetheless, giving it the skills to then go and explore and and do stuff without you having to physically tell it what to do was something that was incredibly compelling to me. And so from there, I went on and did a PhD in robotics. I got involved in the DARPA Urban Challenge, which was like the Olympics of of self-driving research at the time, and then joined Google's self-driving car effort and have been working on this ever since. I think a lot of people don't understand what exactly is hard about building an autonomous vehicle, right? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and what sort of perhaps technological advances that we haven't really perhaps seen yet are needed in order to push innovation in the space? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's one of the reasons why we are so excited to be focused on goods delivery. If you think about self-driving and particularly driving passengers around with a self-driving car, the reason it's so, so hard is that the vehicle basically has to be perfect. So think about the problem of detecting a brick in the middle of the road. You have to detect that brick every time because you can't ever afford to run into something like a brick in the road, but you also can't afford to have any false positives. So you can't afford to ever think that there's a brick when there's not a brick because the result then would be you slow down or you hit the brakes a little bit. And if you have a passenger inside the car, that's a completely unacceptable experience, right? Imagine driving around in your Uber and they start slowing down and there's nothing in the road. You're probably never going to ride that service again. And so that places a really, really difficult constraint on the self-driving system because it has to never get it wrong either from false negatives, like missing things, and never get it wrong from false positives where it thinks something's there and it's not. And that just becomes an incredibly hard machine learning problem. One of the reasons we're excited about goods is that we can relax one side of that. In other words, we can afford for our vehicles to be a little bit more conservative, to go a little slower. If they're not sure, they can be more cautious drivers on the roads. If you are sitting in one of our vehicles, which we hope no one ever will do, it wouldn't be an amazing experience. At least not for a human. 
Nero's boxy delivery vehicle is about half as wide as a compact sedan and shorter than most compact cars. It has no side windows or room for people. Instead, its two side doors open to reveal compartments for groceries and other items. Using a combo of software, sensors, and lasers, it navigates roads at a max speed of 25 miles per hour. You'd be frustrated that it's going a little bit too slow, it's being too cautious, but as a road user for other participants on the road, it's really advantageous to be able to focus exclusively on safety and being conservative. And that also constrains the problem in a way that it's much more feasible to solve. Can you describe how the role of the human in a delivery service has kind of evolved over time and how you see it being positioned in the future? The way that we see delivery as a technical challenge, but also as an economic challenge, is that there's very much a spectrum. On one end of that spectrum are scheduled deliveries for which there isn't as much urgency. And so these are effectively your packages, right? You get them overnight, next day, two day. We don't really mind too much exactly when they arrive, as long as they're sort of there when we get home, which in itself can be a little bit of a challenge, but we're not waiting at home desperate for that package to arrive. Today, those are performed actually very efficiently in terms of economics by delivery services. It's a big UPS truck that's dropping off a couple hundred packages. So the incremental cost of each package that they're dropping off is very small in terms of the driver time, in terms of the effort, and even the distance traveled. At the other end of the spectrum are truly on-demand delivery services. So this is when you're sitting at home, you're really hungry, you want some food, you order from Uber Eats or DoorDash, you want it to come as quickly as it possibly can. And in that end of the spectrum, it's very, very difficult and very expensive to, to execute it because that delivery driver is basically your personal chauffeur. They're doing one delivery typically, they're driving from the store to your house and then perhaps back to the store. So in order to do that for you, it is very time consuming and very hard for a manual delivery effort. Where Neuro is positioned is that we think that by using self-driving vehicles, we can create a really efficient, really high quality service for doing delivery. But because of some of the limitations of self-driving vehicles, such as there's no one to get out and take it to your door and drop it on your doorstep, we think it's also very much better suited to the on-demand side of the spectrum, right? So what we see happening is we will first solve a lot of those on-demand use cases where the people are home or at their office and they're ready to meet a vehicle to get their goods from it. And over time, I think the package delivery part uh, will be solved probably with additional technology to figure out a way to get it from the vehicle to your doorstep. If we step outside of the street and into the home, where do you see robotics fitting in there? What are the robots gonna look like that will own, that will live with? Yeah, great question. And, and this is pretty dear to us as a company, right? You'll notice in, a, in our mission statement, we have nothing about self-driving. We have nothing about delivery. We're very excited about that as an initial application, but we certainly see it as an initial application from which we will launch others. And I think one of the ways to look at it is self-driving is in many ways one of the most difficult robotics problems to solve. And so if you've gone through the effort of building out the infrastructure, all of the technology to be able to do that, it's almost a shame not to use that technology in other application areas as well. So specifically around the home, I think one of the challenges for why we haven't seen really general purpose home robotics or in general 
robots other than vacuum cleaners that people are really excited about is that if you think about all the tasks that you do in the home, each one of them is pretty small, right? And so if, if you had a robot that could do all of them, like Rosie from the Jetsons, that would be incredibly useful. And I think we would all want that. But to build a robot that can do all of those things right now is really, really hard. And so we're sort of living in this world where you can probably build a robot that could do any one of them pretty effectively, but the cost associated with that robot is probably too high for people to want to pay for it. And so we're kind of in this limbo where we may have to take the step to building the general purpose robot that can be rosy, that can do your dishes, that can make your dinner, that can clean the bathroom for you all in one system. And that is a very difficult general AI and hardware challenge. I do see us having that at some point, but there is this tough interim stage where we're sort of left with these very specific devices to do little bits of the chores that we have at home. And it's hard to make those cost-effective enough to be worth it to the consumer. Back to autonomous vehicles, how do you see yourself navigating the regulatory hurdles that these kind of vehicles face before they're street legal? We've tried to really explain how this sort of vehicle could drastically improve the safety of roads because it doesn't have passengers. It can really focus all of its efforts on making the roads safer for other road users. So one sort of concrete example, and this is some work that, that we published recently, one of our mechanical engineers has designed a system to stop our vehicle when driving 35 miles per hour in one to two meters, right? Now, if you think about it, a normal vehicle takes about 35 to 40 meters to stop at that speed. And obviously you can imagine how valuable that is in the case of a potential emergency avoidance maneuver, right? Now, if you have someone inside the vehicle, you can't really do that because the G-forces associated with stopping it that quickly, are they're gonna like put someone through the windshield or there's gonna be massive whiplash. If it's just eggs, you can do stuff like this, uh, which, which we find a pretty amazing entire green space that we can explore to try to build vehicles that are just fundamentally much, much safer for everyone else. Do you see potential side effect of sorts of autonomous vehicles being more prevalent on the road in the future? Do you think the RV could be cool again? If there's no driver, does the car essentially become a mobile living space? I think we will see a lot of that. And it's interesting when you talk to people in different parts of the economy about how they're planning for the self-driving future, right? There's an argument to be made that if you make commuting better, much more enjoyable, right? You're sitting in your living room while you're commuting to work as opposed to sitting in traffic and being exhausted, that, that people may end up commuting more, right? The distances may increase. People may end up living in vehicles over time. I, I think that we're going to see some shifts and some transformations as we, as we enable the technology that can facilitate this stuff. I think it's not dissimilar to me in comparison to what we're going to see with augmented reality and virtual reality, right? Like at, at some point, if we build these systems to be really, really amazing. So in some ways, there's sort of a competing force, right? Autonomous vehicles get super comfortable and you're fine commuting three hours to and from work each day because you're just hanging out in your living room. 
Meanwhile, virtual reality, augmented reality, teleconferencing gets so good that you don't even need to go into a building to work. So you don't need to travel at all. And there's sort of these competing factions. It's obviously always hard to predict the future, but having a technology that enables you to truly relax and not have to be present during the driving task, I think is going to fundamentally shift how we behave and how we how we slot commuting and, and driving into our daily lives. I can be on a conference call on uh, Magic Leap and have my boss sitting on the couch in my living room that is also on I-95 right. going 200 miles an hour or whatever. I can get into that future. <laughs> I'm curious how you see autonomous vehicles augmenting traffic management systems. I think the, this, is, this is sort of one of the questions that's related to the overall question of, well, how, how will autonomous vehicles be deployed? And frankly, if you could overnight stop having all humans behind the wheel and we sort of flicked a switch and today Manhattan is as it is, the beautiful chaos that, that we have and tomorrow it's all self-driving vehicles, that would make the lives of self-driving vehicle developers much, much easier. I think the reality is that we're gonna have humans and robots navigating the same roads for a long, long time. And that also means that some of the other potential benefits or innovations that we can make around traffic management are going to have to take longer, right? So that you've probably seen a bunch of these cool simulations where, where you say, well, look, we don't need traffic lights. If we have all autonomous vehicles, they can navigate intersections at 50 miles per hour and it's all safe. I think in the far, far future, that's amazing. And, and yes, makes a lot of sense. In order to do that, you can't ever have one human person driving a vehicle through that area. And I think that realistically, that's going to take quite a lot of time before it's a reality. For more on how companies are fighting to dominate the delivery market, check out our Delivery Wars reporting series at WSJ.com. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. This episode was produced with help from Daniela Hernandez. Our technical director is Jacob Gorski. If you like what you hear, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Anthony Green.